Before we start today, let me tell you about Peterson Toyota, who has served Fort Collins, Loveland, Windsor, and Tinmouth for more than 50 years. When you visit the dealership, you'll receive first-class attention, whether it be for a service appointment, help picking out the right part for your Toyota, or test driving a new or pre-owned vehicle. If your heart is set on a new Toyota, you may want to inquire about the 2024 Tacoma TRD Off-Road, which recently had its first official public reveal in Loveland. Pricing and availability will be announced soon, but call the dealership ASAP and get on the list, as Fort Collins and Northern Colorado residents are prioritized over all others. But whatever you're looking for, Peterson's expert staff will help you find the vehicle that is right for you, all at competitive pricing and financing. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please get Peterson Toyota first shot at your business. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to Ram Nation Radio. Two days until the Rocky Mountain Showdown. It's getting exciting. A lot of fireworks in the media today. Uh, but thanks for tuning in. I am Joel Canalamessa, joined by Mike Rowe. Today we have a special guest. To top yesterday's special guest, Bradley Van Pelt, we have Pete Repstock, who played. Uh, did you play one year with him, Brad? Uh, did you play? Did you have any crossover with him? <clears throat> yeah, I did. My my redshirt senior year. That was Bradley's first year of eligibility to play for CSU, and he ended up taking over the starting quarterback duties. I I want to say week three, maybe week four. Okay, so you played in two thousand one. That's right. Uh, he told yeah. us a story yesterday about uh, how you and Matt were his hosts on his recruiting trip. And uh, he yeah. talked very highly of both of you and said it was a, a good time and how what good dudes you are. But uh, let me tell everybody, for, for those youngsters that are tuning in that don't necessarily uh, know as much about Pete. Pete, you played from, I guess, 1998 to 2000. I thought it was 2000, but 2001. You're seventh on the careers reception list with 131 catches. You were fifth in receiving yards with 2009 for your career. You're also in the top 10 all-time categories, including touchdowns, career touchdowns, kickoff, punt return yards, all those things. So uh, you were definitely a stud. Uh, you were one of seven CSU receivers to be named first team All-Mountain West. The most recent is Torrey Horton last year. Warren Jackson, Preston Williams, Michael Gallup twice, Rashard Higgins twice, David Anderson, and then you. So uh, it's a pretty elite list there. And you got two wins over the Buffs in the Rocky Mountain Showdown, 1999 and 2000. So uh, we're just continuing to try to bring in the good karma this week into Ram Nation Radio just a couple of days before the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Thanks for joining us, buddy. What are you up to? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. You know, just, uh, just being busy, being a dad and uh, shuttling kids around to, to their youth sports and and uh, coaching my son, helping coach my son's youth football team. Are you head coach? Are you uh, offensive coordinator? Where are you? Yeah, so, well, I was head coach for the last six years, and then we kept him into his own age group this year um, and had him play seventh grade football again this, this fall. He did last year because uh, he's a seventh grader this year. And so he moved teams and, and – um, I'm actually the defensive coordinator, which has actually been a blast because I've been on the offensive side of the ball my whole life, really, and really focused my coaching um, in high school and in, you know, the last six years on the youth side, uh, on the offensive side. So now I'm running the defense and it's it's a lot less work in terms of uh, practice scripts and all that kind of stuff. What are you coaching up on defense? So we run a we're running that base out of a 4-3 and, and it's kind of more of a 4-2-5 in a sense of We'll play a lot of four-four looks with our strong and weak safety walk down in the box, and then we'll get into some quarter looks at times. And 
maybe we'll change our front to an under front or an over front, depending on what we're seeing to try to make it a little bit harder for us to be blocked. But, you know, we try to keep it as simple as possible because, you know, our offensive coordinator is Peyton Manning. So the kids have a ton of offensive scheme to know and learn and execute. So we try to keep defense as free of thought as possible and just play fast. That coaching staff sounds loaded. Yeah, it's pretty neat. We got, uh, you know, Mark Schlereth comes out and helps. Uh, we have Sam Jones, who was a Thunder Ridge kid, played at ASU, and Broncos drafted him, helping coach. Uh, Terrell Davis's kids on the team, so TD's out there coaching the running backs. Uh, it's a really neat experience for these young kids. Uh, I don't think they quite realize how cool it is at this point. I think down the road they'll realize what a what a awesome you know opportunity they've had or have. Um, right now they're just it's Coach Payton, it's Coach TD, it's you know, oh, there's is Coach Schlereth going to be here today? And I don't know if they really quite understand how cool it is. Have you guys put their Twitter handles on the back of their practice jerseys yet? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think Peyton would approve of that. <laughs> uh, well, uh, and it's been a few years since you coached at Creek, right? You coached at Creek for a little bit? Yeah, you know, I started coaching in 05 at Bear Creek with Tom Thanell yeah. and then went, went, went back over to Cherry Creek for – Maybe five years. I think it was 07, 8, 9, 10, 11. Yeah, five years. And then spent one year on the Mullen staff and then <clears throat> started having my little kids ask me where the hell I was going every Friday night and Saturday morning. And it became, um, it, it just became too tough to miss your own kids' stuff to coach other people's kids for, as a volunteer, you know? Yeah. Well, we want to talk to you about the Rocky Mountain Showdown and your memories from days past. And, uh, you know, what you, what you see in, in potentially this, this weekend's game. And I want to just, first of all, ask you, I know, you know, talking to Matt, I'm like, Matt, are you going to the game? And he was pretty sharp retort. Uh, I'll just say that it was a basic quick no. Uh, but I, you know, I, I know he's not all that uh, connected with the athletic department these days and a little bit down on football. How, how are you and your relationship with CSU and the athletic department and the football program these days? Uh, you know, sadly, it's, it's kind of non-existent. Um, I don't really know anyone up there anymore and haven't had, I have yet to meet the the coaching staff, the football coaching staff. I know there is a, a few functions here in Denver when Jay was first hired and, and, and I think even last spring, but it coincided on nights of where we had good stuff going on and, and we didn't make it over there. So, um, you know, I, I'm not down on these guys. I really hope coach Norville does a great job and, I think he's got some good coaches on his staff. Um, certainly, you know, it's been a tough, tough road here for, for our team. And for me, you know, I want to see competitiveness yeah. at this point. I, I'm not even going to be picky on wins. Let's just compete in games that we're not competitive in, uh, or that we haven't been competitive in lately. And, and eventually if we can beat in these games in the fourth quarter, and then we'll learn how to find find ways to win those games, and and then it all should kind of snowball. But we got to be competitive first. I appreciate that comment. Uh, Bradley pretty much said the same thing yesterday. Play hard for four quarters, and and focus on doing that. Then things will start coming your way. So love hearing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's not going to happen overnight, and hopefully, we're recruiting good players and good kids and and good football players. I know. It seems just it, it, the it, the there's a lot of measurables talk 
about the kids we're getting in our program. And I get it. Kids are getting bigger and they're getting stronger and they're getting faster. But, you know, we're right now, if we're focusing on measurables only, we're missing out on probably pretty good football players. And um, I hope that we don't pass up a kid that's not maybe, uh, you know, a, rated in the measurable department doesn't have the height doesn't have the speed but the kid makes plays obviously those are the kids i think that are the foundation of our program were were built off of walk-ons late bloomers kids that didn't pass the eye test but just found ways to make plays i think hopefully we can have some of those guys within our program maybe they're there now and just haven't gotten their opportunity or haven't you know been developed quite enough yet but um boy i tell you we we got to have football players first well, that's the that was the foundation that that was built under Sonny, right? I mean, that that was kind of our identity with blue collar players. We didn't always have the biggest or the fastest, but they would play for four quarters and they'd smash you in the mouth. And you know, obviously, it's changed a lot. Actually, even in the later Sunny years, it changed, and we started going after those blue chippers and and landing some of them. And you know, we started doing better things with Hughes Stadium, building a club level, and uh, you know, building a nicer locker room and things like that. That all of a sudden you're starting to get, and we had some football on field success. So you're starting to get better players, but somehow that formula of getting those farm boys and in the tough kids that maybe didn't stack up with the measurables, they had just something else inside of them that made us better. And that is missing. It is missing. And I think you need a little bit of both. You do need the athletes, but you also need that, that heart. And we need to start seeing that pretty soon. Yeah, I would agree. And certainly don't get it. Like we had some really incredible athletes in our program and, and had some guys that could really run and had some, some dudes with some really good measurables. Um, but, but we also had a core of players that, you know, were for lack of a better word, tryhards that found ways to make plays. And, you know, I don't care what league you're in, what level you're playing, what conference you're in, I, from youth football to the national football league, you cannot overcome a lack of toughness as a team or a program. It just will eventually get you. And so, you know, hopefully Coach Norvell and that group's putting together, you know, a, a group of kids that are genuinely tough um, and like the game enough to where, you know, you, you, you can um, you can still find yourself excited to play in front of 10,000 people when it's 27 degrees and you got a bunch of, you know, Air Force pilots pissed off trying to cut you down every play when you're playing teams like Air Force, you know. That's for sure. Well, I, I hope you do get a chance. I know that the staff is doing a lot more to try to tie in former players and and bring in those ties and uh, make sure that you guys feel welcome. And I, I don't know if you've heard about the Ram walk that they do the night before the game, but any any former players welcome. And they're, they're doing a lot of good things. But I, I think in order for this all to resonate, they have to start putting a better product on the field and start winning before, you know, former players start attaching their name to the program again. But uh, so check that out. If you haven't heard of it or, or yeah. seen it, look into that because it, it does look like a pretty cool experience. And I know a lot of former players have done it. But yeah, no, I, I don't I don't think it's a lack of their uh, I don't think I feel unwelcome. I just I, I have so other things that you have to sacrifice to miss to go see those games. And at this point, it's just not I can't justify missing my own kids stuff to go watch. CSU football. Although I'd love to go see games, it's 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 not convenient at this point. Hey, what did you think? I'm I'm guessing you saw it because it's been everywhere today. But uh, Jay, Jay Norvell had made a comment in his coach's show last night. He had been 
all camp and all even off season had said nothing but the right things when it came to see you and, and Deion Sanders. And, <clears throat> and I think just something in him yesterday either snapped <laughs> because I think they've gone through the ESPN interviews and, and a bunch of videos for, for the, the telecast. And they probably just got bombarded with question after question after question about prime time and, and see you. And, and I just think that something about it rubbed him raw. And last night he snapped and said, you know, first of all, I'm taking off my hat. And uh, I've always been taught that you take off your hat and your sunglasses when you talk to adults. And, uh, and that was clearly a shot at, at Deion Sanders, who in every post game or in every uh, interview, he's got his hat down low. He's got his sunglasses on and, and maybe sometimes even a hoodie on his head. And so it was clearly a shot at that. And it has just awoken the entire nation with why would their head coach uh, poke the bear like that? So do you think if you were a player, someone after Sonny like that, would that give you extra fire or is that just kind of overrated? Maybe it gets you fired up for the first series of the game and it just, then the game settles in. What, how would that affect you? Well, I think, I think it's more the latter is it, it would maybe get you more excited. There's more chatter about it, you know, leading up to the game and maybe pregame gets a little bit more chippy, but then once the, you know, the ball's kicked off, you eventually settle in and you got to play the game that, you know, you, you know, you need to play and, it, and you try to play every play emotionally and, and, and you want to be in control. Um, I, I don't think comments, you know, obviously see you saying they're taking it personal and, and I'm sure they are. And, and that'll inspire them to probably practice harder and prepare harder these next 48 hours or so. Um, but I think once the balls in play, eventually reality sets in and you got to play hundred snaps or 120 snaps in this game and, you know, you, I don't think really you're thinking about what your coach said or what their coach said. You're just trying to do your job to the best of your ability. So looking back at uh, all right, so freshman year '98, did you get much playing time in the in that uh, Rocky Mountain showdown? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, we'd played the 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 week before we'd played at Michigan State. Yeah, in that preseason game, and and, and had, that was a big win. And so we went into that game with a lot of momentum and. And CU was ranked high. I think they were higher than us, but we were top 15 at the time. They just smoked us. Um, so I did. I did play. I played, you know, I was in the rotation. I probably played 50% of the snaps, uh, maybe a little bit more. I, I got my first catch and, and took a knee to the head. Jay Sean Sykes slid in and damn near knocked me out. So that was my first concussion in college as well. You probably, we, we you probably kept point. playing. Yeah, it was one where I was basically like, you could, you know, you go to that rigor mortis state on the field and you didn't, you get up and you don't know where you are. By the time I got up and kind of got to my, my bearings on me, Dr. Trumper was already with me and they took my helmet. Hmm. That was a wrap. But that was fourth quarter. We were already getting Sally Walker. It wasn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't on top. So we, we actually had a third quarter lead. We went up 14 13 and then everything just. <laughs> The wheels fell off the bus pretty quick. Like, what was what was kind of your thoughts on on the sidelines with that? What was it really? It was that tight of a game in the third quarter. Yeah, we took Esslinger. Uh, man, who did he? Yeah, Esslinger threw a touchdown to to take the lead, and then yeah, really twenty seven unanswered. <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't. I think one of them was a punt return. I think we got a yeah. punt return taken back. That was a backbreaker. I remember Hal was. Hurt his hamstring. John Howell hurt his hamstring in camp. I don't think he played against Michigan State the, the week before. 
played in that game and he was chasing uh, I think it was Cedric Cormier down the sideline. I, I think that was that punter turn. And then his hamstring just snapped. He ended up having a red shirt that year. I think he had a combination of just giving up some pretty big plays and losing all momentum. And we just folded. We weren't we were not a very good team that year. We were talented. We weren't very mentally or emotionally tough. We had a lot of dudes that were worried about their draft status. And, and uh, I think if you ask guys like Joey Porter, he'll tell you we we um, very much underachieved that year in terms of what our capabilities were and what the expectations were. I'll never. I think we had uh, this was a few years ago now that we had a bunch of the guys from back in that era as well. Um, and we asked them, you know, is it true like that that game at Rice? Remember we lost at Rice. We yeah, losing to that that team. But uh, apparently the rumor was that there was, you know, half the team was out that night partying the night before or something like that. It was, was that the kind of stuff that was happening that year with that that group of guys? Yeah. Yep. Yep. It wasn't half, but there was a handful and key guys that know better. Um, and uh, but yeah, those I think that's that's the sums it up perfectly was. You know, that's kind of what we were doing. And uh, it definitely um, – we, we definitely paid the price for it. So then the following year was the big year, right? And uh, and it had been a while since we had won in that that series. I think 86 was the like, – the Steve Bartle year went, went to Boulder and won. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it had been a while since we'd beaten CU and then just absolutely smacked them down. And that was the tear gas game and – Talk about some of your memories of that because it was um, it was big play after big play and just kept our foot on the gas and just got up to the yeah. speed. It was twenty eight to was it twenty nothing at halftime and and I remember Sonny like you guys were all so focused that Sonny said, "Look, I looked at my guys and they were barely excited about it." I'm like, "Come on, guys, let's pick it up a little bit because you guys were all just all business." And uh, yeah, what do you remember about that game and and how fun it was? Yeah, that was incredible. Um... I would say that game was a real chip on the shoulder game for our program and our, because I think what happened the year before, how much we underachieved the year before um, going into that game, I, I want to say we maybe were ranked ahead of CU and it was pretty disrespectful afterwards in terms of some of the things said. Um, But that was more like player to player, you know? And then I think there's certain guys, guys like, you know, myself and, and others who, we're finally really going to be in the game the majority of the time who played pretty pissed off, not because of really what anybody said, but just, you know, uh, yeah, I never even got a recruiting letter from those guys. I mean, they can, you know, you have those generated letters they sent out every week with electronic signatures of the coach. And we had, you know, 25 guys in our high school football team getting letters from CU every week. And I didn't even get one. So I remember playing really pissed off and, and then we made plays like we made, we had some pretty big explosives and then we just pounded them. Kevin was pounding them hard, McDougal and our defense got after him. I mean, Joey and, um, or not Joey, but Clark and, and uh, I can't remember who else was passionate. So I know Clark got to the quarterback quite a bit and, and caused problems. So yeah, that was awesome. That was a really fun game. And, and, um, and, and that was, uh, that really, I think God, everyone believing back in the program that, you know, you can compete and, and beat these guys. How was that post game like? Oh, it was incredible because if you remember, our fans were going crazy. Their fans were pissed off going crazy. And then this, the cops started shooting tear gas. Do you remember that? It was kind of a riot. 
Yep. I got, and I so, got the beer gas. So yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of like a shock. I stood in the middle of the field with four or five CSU teammates. And there was a couple of my childhood best friend was on the CU team at the time. And so we were sitting there watching it like, this is crazy. And then we saw the CU guys going in the tunnel and I guess batteries were being thrown at them. It was pretty gnarly. So I actually ran down through the CU tunnel with my buddy, just trying to shield him. I figured maybe they wouldn't throw batteries at him if I'm right next to him. So, and then ran back to the, you know, our locker room and that was a party that night. What, and then how about, uh, how about 2000? So obviously um, they probably were looking for a little bit of revenge and they were coming into the game ranked number six in the country. And you guys had a great game against them again. It was, uh, what was it the final 28 to 14, I think 2014. Yeah. And that was a game. I just remember um, you guys just, you guys were hitting on big plays. Frank Rice, I think, caught a screen, went to the house. But what I the one yep. I remember was the touchdown pass to Jose Ochoa, and you know, at the end, yeah, at the end, and and yep. New was New was peppering you pretty much uh, a lot of the game, hitting you and Kapari. But I remember reading about this at some point. Uh, there was talk about how uh, you guys just kind of off the cuff. And Newton, especially in Jose Ochoa, they just kind of saw this opening up because the, they thought that Ochoa was basically just running guys off or there to block uh, play after play as you, as Newton kept throwing to the outside to you guys. And and Jose was just like, look, man, it's uh, they, they think I'm running them off. Why don't I just go up to see him and you hit me? And sure enough, it was wide open. It was but it was almost like one of those, you know, those playground draw it up on your chest kind of things like, Hey, hit me. I'll be open. <laughs> you know, you guys just, you had that chemistry and, and the, um, and the playmakers back then. And and then Matt, Matt Newton just made the plays. And for some reason he, he owned CU very few guys that can say that they were having two wins against CU. Yeah. Yeah. I would say Matt was, he's one of the most gifted competitors, like not athletes competitors. He is the, he is a unbelievable competitor, and he's just a winner. Uh, I do remember that play. It, it's twenty-two Hank. It's a it's a curl concept where you got tight end usually kind of curls up over the ball between the two inside backers. You know, at 10, 12 yards outside, guys are running twelve yard curls, and then we're bringing one of our tight ends to the flat, and our, our running back to the flat if protection allows. <laughs> but I remember talking on the sideline, like, look, so I was like, they're not even looking at me. So he just stayed up on the scene and we'd never completed that. I don't think they ever completed that pass again in that type of, out of that concept with, he just checked into a seam and, and Matt threw it to me. He's wide open. So that was certainly a, a awesome moment. Cause I, I knew that that was it. Once we scored that, that he's either 24, 14 or 28, 14 that game, but that, that was the game right there. We knew that that ended up being the game. And, and Cecil ended up coming out that game and having a hell of a game. He ran the ball really well. Um, but, yeah, back to, you know, your comment. We, we did – that was our best team, that 2000 team. Um, we were we were pretty experienced. We had some good talent. We had some great leadership, some good toughness. Um, and we just found ways to win. I mean, that year we won a lot of close games in the fourth quarter. I think they had called us the cardiac kids that year. Um but hell, we finished, I think, 14th in the country that year after winning the Liberty Bowl against Louisville. I think we were 14th with 11 wins. 
we, we snuck our way into the locker room after the game and we were celebrating with you with the, the Liberty Bowl trophy. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that, but it was me yeah. and a couple of buddies, Scott Garrett, who you might Oh, remember. yeah. Yep. Those For are the sure. days sure. when we'd make bowl games and win them. Yeah, exactly. Now, look, we're not asking for a lot, are we? We're just like, I'm just saying, let's compete. Like, let, I don't want to turn the TV off in the third quarter like this. Or I don't even want to channel surf. Like, why am I flipping over and watching some garbage Pac-12 game? Like, I want. hopefully I'm watching the third quarter of the CU game Saturday night versus channel surfing trying to find USC. That's, that's exactly right. So so then the 2001 was – things went a little bit south. I mean, the team um, – was a little bit of a rebuilding year, but uh, or, or I think you had DJ Bush starting that first game, and 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 then Bradley came in. I don't remember if did DJ get hurt or he just get benched. No, he just got benched. He yeah, just we, got benched. <clears throat> yeah, DJ is a great kid and 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 um, a good football player. Just it, I think the moment he just wasn't ready for it. his maturation level. He just wasn't there. He, his IQ was there. I think it just the big games would come, and it was just too much for him. Um, he was more polished than Bradley was, but Bradley was Bradley. He was just a, he just let it all loose and go play football. He was a hell of a football player. I always tell people if Bradley would have played in this modern era or even like back when with like an Urban Meyer, he would have been a Tim Tebow type player. He would have been that revered and that successful. I think he would have been a Heisman Trophy candidate playing for a system that would have catered to more of the great things he could do power. You know, he had great speed. He could run your ass over. He threw good balls, but he wasn't going to sit in the pocket and light you up. But if we had some zone read concepts and some RPO stuff, I think he would have been a Heisman trophy candidate. I truly believe that he was that good. You know, those were some of the things that he said yesterday. And you gotta, you gotta witness that, that change mid season going back to your freshman year where Esslinger started Newton came in and won that UNLV game. That was when Esslinger got knocked out with a, on a late hit on the sidelines. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Newton really looked good that game, but then uh, went back to to back up, and we saw what he did the next two years. Was there was there any controversy in the locker room that freshman year? Like. Let's give it to the sophomore. Let's give it to Matt and and, and see what we're going to do as opposed to going with, with Esslinger. I don't think there was. I never – if there was, I don't – I wasn't part of it or I don't remember that. Matt was pretty low-key and pretty good about staying – keeping body language consistent regardless of the situation. So, I don't think, you know, usually if that kind of stuff happens, it's – the backup guy kind of bitching and grumbling a little bit to his buddies and politicking, and then his buddies start politicking, and then that's how it spreads. <clears throat> I don't think Matt ever, you know, I lived with them, so I never saw that um, at all. I didn't live with them in 98. You know, I was still in the dorms, actually. But Matt's personality was never that. So if it, if it would have happened, in my opinion, it would have been started by the backup guy, and I, I, I never heard it. All right. So that being said, I don't know how much you've been following it all this year, but uh, Clay Millen, who started 10 games last year, he missed a couple games after he got hurt. They they tried a couple different quarterbacks in the two weeks that he sat out, one of which is Braden Fowler-Nicolosi, who will make the start this Saturday. You know, you talked about DJ Bush and how, you know, he was smart, he was a good player, but he just maybe wasn't ready for that moment. 
this is going to be kind of a similar moment. I mean, it's uh, Rocky Mountain Showdowns at, at Invesco were huge, right, with huge crowds. And back then, I mean, it was intense, right, and very well, mm -hmm. uh, very even matchups. This is going into Boulder where it's going to be ugly as far as fans go. And uh, 8 o'clock, everyone's going to be sauced up after 12 hours of drinking and whatnot. So this is going to be a rough <laughs> environment for a, a freshman, a redshirt freshman. What do yeah. You, how do you think he might fare? I mean, he must be a G. I mean, he must be a, a real gangster to be able to supplant the guy that's been playing and take this the, the reins over. Either, either that or they're very comparable at this point. And maybe this younger kid has some things that he does better and and he needs to kind of get some, some, some hard experience quickly to try to give him some confidence later this year. And so maybe this is their thought of, hey, Let's go with this dude. Um, and if he sucks, it's easier to pull the freshman out for the guy that's more seasoned than pull the seasoned guy out for the freshman, I would yeah. think at least. So, you know, I, I don't I – unfortunately, I don't know enough about the personalities of the kids or the team, the DNA of the team. But, it, you know, these guys are these – are, these are highly competitive kids. They're not playing at CSU – you know, because they're average competitors, they're they're going to be great competitors, and so these kids want to win. And if the coaches think this younger kid has a better chance to get, you know, put these kids and put these receivers in position to make plays, then you got to roll with it. And hopefully, there's a ton of support and around this kid, not only from you know the players, but from this other quarterback now that has to sit and watch, which is hard. Poor kid. <laughs> Uh, so, so you know uh, football very well, obviously, and, and you coached a lot. Have you have you have you watched either of CU's first two games? And and knowing, like, seeing what they have personnel wise and the type of football that they're that they're starting to play, how would you game plan for them and and attack them to get a win? Well, it's funny. I have not seen one actual live football play at CU this year. Um, my kids' sports, I go from 9 a.m. football games to soccer fields and softball fields. So I see updates and I hear people and I see all these all these people wearing CU stuff that haven't worn them for years, right, telling me all about it. I see the highlights, uh, you know, on ESPN, and and I've seen some of the stuff that um, Deion Sanders Jr. puts out. To me, I think the area that – like I think the speed is going to be a real concern – our back half of our defense, the linebackers and secondary. It, it looks like on these highlights that CU has a plethora of speed at the skill position. And then a quarterback that makes plays. He's accurate. He can throw it from in the pocket. He can escape and runs well enough to be a threat to take off and run with it. But he's very patient and kind of holds that ball to the last second when he's out of the pocket to try to give his receivers a chance. And if he can buy time and then now we got to cover these extremely fast receivers for three or four seconds, that's a losing proposition for us. So I would think the first thing we got to try to do is keep the kid in the pocket and get some pressure from the inside on this, on him. So he can't kind of step up and scramble out by time. Um, and then offensively, I know we're a Fort raid or kind of a shotgun spread team, or at least that's, what I've seen like that's been all the marketing stuff supposed to be, but yeah, but, but it would be really nice to not have to go no huddle and go 
you know, we can't get drives put together. We're getting rid of the football and giving it back to that offense every, you know, 90 seconds or two minutes. Let's kind of hold the ball a little bit and slow the game down. Um, but shoot, <laughs> I'm just a youth and ex high school football coach. I have no idea how to scheme and stop the speed that our kids are going to see. And, uh, you know, I don't know how to throw the ball to win a game. I'm, you know, we were 12 person out CSU. We just pounded the living daylights out of you and beat your ass, you know, face to face and took a shot every now and then, you know? Well, I think, I think you're onto something there though. I mean, what did we go Mike in that game against Washington state seven straight possessions of three and out or something like that. And, and, and when you're, I don't think we were truly going as fast as we would like to go on offense as far as uh, no huddle, but we weren't necessarily huddling up and taking a, the air out of the, or the running the clock down as much as we should have. And you're right. I mean, we had our defense on the field way too much. And I do think our defense is going to be much improved this year. I think they're going to be the strength, but when you're on the field that long without breaks, um, you're going to wear down in, in, skill positions are going to ultimately beat you. So I think you're on to yeah. something. I mean, I think maybe it's they complimentary. Should. You know, there's, they call it complimentary football for a reason. Like if your offense can't generate first down, well then slow it down. You're going to punt anyway. So let's freaking bleed the clock as much as we can. I know it's unexciting and it's, uh, it's not going to get us points on the board, but it ain't going, hurry up, hurry up and punt. No, that's a that's a bad bad recipe, especially when you're playing at somebody else's house. Yeah. Well, just a couple more questions for you, Pete. How was that uh, the radio network stint you had? I remember. I think I've talked to you since then, and I, you know, you're a very opinionated guy. You'll say whatever's on your mind, and sometimes you you can't really do that when you're employed by the the team that you're covering. But how how was that experience for you, and and what do you remember about it? You know, I had fun doing it. I was I was very immature and bad at that job. <laughs> um, I enjoyed football. <laughs> I hated putting on a tie and traveling on a bus and flying on a plane and sitting in a hotel room to watch a game. I was cool doing that playing, but not watching it. And so I didn't prepare like I should have. I didn't act like I should have. I didn't say the things I you know, I said things I shouldn't have said. And I think the thing I feel really bad about that I think about, I feel bad for Brian um, and Rich Berkhamshaw because I think I made their jobs harder by being unprepared and unprofessional. So I have, I actually have quite a bit of regret about that. I, I think I could have done a better job. I know I could have. I, sh I should have done a better job. I should have been more mature about it. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, you know, you're also in the role where, you're the former student athlete and uh, you're kind of a figure and, and you're there for, yeah, we want to hear your analysis and all that, but you're also part entertainment. And part of what was refreshing about you is I remember when there was something bad that happened, you would, wouldn't mince words. And that's almost refreshing when you're listening to a broadcast. So uh, I remember I enjoyed it, but. Um, yeah. Well, good. Luckily it was, you know, that many years ago, there's no way they would have, Put me in a chokehold and throw me out of a bar like I picked a fight saying some of the things I said on the radio back then. <laughs> uh, all right. So then last thing, Sonny Lubick, obviously you care a lot about him. Yeah. How did that whole thing rub you when uh, when he was let go? Ultimately, I know he had a few down years, 
Um, but wouldn't you have like in hindsight looked to say, God, what if instead of letting go of Sonny, we said, look, let's go all in with Sonny and give him what he needs and invest in him and make sure he's got the staff, the money for his staff that he needs and invest. I mean, could, can you imagine if they would have given what we have now, all the investments in facilities and salaries for assistance and all that ancillary support that these football programs are getting in the last few years? What if you give that to Sonny and what could he have done with it? How did, how did that all thing yeah. uh, sit with you? Well, I think we had chances as a program to capitalize on what Sonny did for the program. We had teams and bowl games and support that if we had done it correctly within the athletic department, we could have raised money then and created a, a different platform for Sonny to work from. And so he never had the support. It was the bare minimum. His, um, you know, his loyalty to his staff was his biggest fault, but his loyalty to his staff was because they were loyal to him. I mean, how many years did we get guys like Larry Kerr and Brian Schneider working for, you know, a quarter of what they could have gotten going elsewhere. And um, I think, I think everyone took it for granted. I think because Sonny was going to be a Fort Collins guy, he turned down some jobs. I, I think internally people thought, oh, he's never going to go anywhere. He's getting getting older. Let's just keep it as it is. And um, ultimately, I think it cost our program, and we're still to this day set back from it. Um, we, we let a legend go, and you're, you're going to have – there's going to be cyclicality to Colorado State University sports. It's just the reality of it. We're not a Power 5 conference – school we don't have the power five funding we didn't have the facilities at the time to be year in and year out the best team in our conference and injuries and losing coaches was gonna be more painful than i think people thought it was so to this day I, i've never been you know I, I my thought towards the program has never been the same just to be honest with you i think they 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 did them wrong yeah. Um, and I think they tried to make amends. And I think Steve Fairchild's a good football coach. Uh, I think there's been a lot of good football coaches that have gone through that maybe didn't have success. But, you know, Sonny should have written his own story and, his, and, and could have done it however he wanted to based on what he accomplished and how much he did for our university. Doesn't it make you sick seeing where Utah and TCU are now and the brands that they are nationally and, and the success that yeah. they've had? I mean, that that could have and should have been us if we would have just pushed forward yeah. and invested like they did. So who's that on? Like, I just don't know enough about how the the how the how structure of, of athletic programs work. Obviously, the AD is kind of the figurehead of the department. But who, back then, who should have been doing this, right? Who, who should have been out finding – the big donors and asking for money and putting on events in Denver and, and finding ways to do more for, for the program and use the momentum we had nationally for our program. I don't like, well, is, that, is it on the coaches or is it on the department? You know? I think it's on the president back then. I think, I think it was mm -hmm. Penley. I, I don't know. Not Penley, Mike. Well, Oh, well, as far as promoting in Denver, that I mean, that was Yates. I, yeah, well, Yates too. Yeah. But I'm just saying, um, from the standpoint of not 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 all the the stuff that's happening at CSU right now is related to donations and funding. It's the university actually getting behind and saying, "Look, we're going to invest. And we're going to allocate this from our general budget to athletics now because we realize it is the front porch, and this is this is advertising that is good for our university as a whole." And and there was a several presidents that just didn't get that concept. 
which should have happened on when Sonny was there when we were having success. I mean, if you jumped all of our those resources that we were doing now and and making those commitments as a university to football like we are now back then with with the right coach in place, we could have yeah. sustained that success. And that if you sustain that success, you probably have that the stadium much quicker, and you have the attention of some of these these other conferences much quicker. Uh, and we we would have been a candidate for expansion in the Pac-12 or the Big 12 like TCU was uh, and, and Utah were. So um, we just missed the boat because we we went the opposite way when those guys went up. They parlayed the 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 Olympics money into investing in Utah did anyway in their facilities. TCU just had a good coach that was able to sustain success and get good, good, good players in Texas with Gary Patterson. And because they didn't have any better fan support than we did. I mean, their, their facilities weren't at right. all that much better than ours, but they just kept winning. And I think they had Texas money and they, they kept investing in the program. And ultimately the, the other conferences came calling. So anyway, it, it's just, it's just me lamenting our missed opportunities, but um, I know we got to, we're running out of time here and, and uh, I just wanted to, to ask you, we asked Bradley this, but um, you know, if you had a chance as a former player who's played in this game has won this game twice the most hated rival that we have as CSU fan, as CSU fans. And I know we don't like Wyoming either, but this is one just that really sticks with you because they're so pompous. But if you had to go a chance to go talk to the players and express what it meant to you to play in this game and what it, you know, this is what we would expect you as following in our footsteps. And here's what you need to go do to win, find it within yourself. What would you say to them? Well, I would say that maybe the things they don't know because they haven't, seen it and haven't been alumni is how much it means to all of us former CSU Rams, whether you played football there or you were just a student there um, because of, to your word, I won't say it, but the, you know, there's, there's, there's those people that went to see you that can be a little bit arrogant at times and, and, uh, and have a uh, kind of stick their nose up at you because you went to CSU. So it means so much to us and, to know the people that have kind of bled and sweat for that program, which you guys are part of that. I mean, you guys have been loyal fans forever. You know, it means it would, it would be absolutely incredible in the, the vibes that everyone would have in the, the school. I mean, you can impact hundreds of thousands of people by going out there and, and winning the game. Yeah, you can impact hundreds of thousands of people by, by going out and competing. And I think you can catapult your season by competing in this game, finding a way to play harder, longer than the dude you're going against, regardless of the outcome of the play or the scoreboard, play your ass off and, and outplay the guy you're going against. He may be faster. He may be taller, more athletic. He may be a first round draft pick, but I guarantee goddamn to you, you can play harder than that dude longer. It may not show up, you know, in the stat line, but play harder, longer. And if every single person that hits that field, has that mentality you got a chance you got a chance it's amazing how that aligns with what bradley said yesterday so two winners that that know how it's done and i think that's great advice i wish they would invite you to go speak to the team on saturday before the game but uh <laughs> hey pal um we, i know we got to cut this off uh but uh really enjoyed talking to you with you mike do you have anything else for pete no man it was great catching up great hearing uh, hearing about it and makes me excited for this weekend yeah, hey, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been uh, it's been great to catch up, and obviously, your guys' loyalty is inspiring. And uh, you know, 
and, and appreciate it for sure. Well, good luck to uh, what are you guys? Are you guys the Bruins youth football? Yeah, or, it's a Bruins team. Yeah, yeah. Well, good luck to the yeah. Bruins this week. Thank and, you. Uh, we'll and I got your number in my phone. We'll have to hit you up and we'll we'll catch up more. Let's have a beer. Get, get after that quarterback. That's right. That's right, man. That's that's what I said. You got to get hits on the QB. The kid can make throws and youth football. After get hits on him, then I'll send out his highlight tape to all the. I'll send it to to our coach up at CSU. We need. <laughs> we could use some players, buddy. Oh, hey, yeah. does, you, does your son wear number yeah. four? No, that son of a gun doesn't. So, <laughs> I quick story. I, I wore twenty one because of Dion. My entire youth career, all the way through high school, wanted to wear it in college, but then it was retired. So I arbitrarily, you know, got eighty seven my redshirt year, and then I was playing scout team against Fresno State, wearing number four, and they're like, "That looks good on you." So I went with that number. Tried to get my son to wear four when he started out in first grade. He's like, "No, I don't want to wear that number because he he's just whatever I ask him to do." He's like, "No, nah, I think I'll do something different." So I hustled him into wearing twenty one since that was my number you know, all the way up to college, but I had to show him highlights of Ezekiel Elliott to get him to wear 21. <laughs> so he wore, he wore 21 his whole career, but then we moved teams down to his age group this year and it was taken. He tried to actually pay the kid off to get 21 and he didn't let him have it. So now he's wearing number seven. I, and number four is available too. I'm like, how about four now? He's like, no, I'll just wear seven. <laughs> I tell you, you started off a pretty good string of number fours for CSU, yep. man. Yeah. David well, that was the Schneiders. The, yeah. The Schneiders started oh, yeah. really, right? You had, you had Brian yeah. and Brady wearing it. Yeah. And then sure. they, uh, they did, but you were the receivers wise, yeah. receivers yeah. wise. And you, you, David Anderson followed with in your footsteps and then Michael Gallup. So there's some good, yeah. and you led the way. Same. Gallup looked just like David and I did in that number, didn't he? <laughs> same height and everything yeah he he was he, you were just as chiseled come on yeah you in my drawings like <laughs> with all those photoshops and the apps we have you bet i am <laughs> oh man yeah. all right brother well this was great great right. catching up with you thanks for your time likewise buddy. all right see you guys thanks well that was good stuff with pd reb enjoyed that <laughs> When you had to step away a little bit, he was talking about uh, when he when he was the on the CSU radio network and how he was not professional at all and uh, a little immature. And I just remember listening sometimes. So I'd wear my headphones to the game and listen to the, the radio during the game. I just remember some of the things he would say, and I would just be like, oh, my God, I can't believe he just said that. But uh, yeah, was, I, I remember some of those post games. Yeah. <laughs> Leaving Hughes and listening to it and being like, did he really just say that? Yeah, he did not mince words when, when he thought he when he saw something he didn't like, and uh, he, I don't know, it was pretty funny. But it was good, good catching up with him. Let me pause super quick and tell you about Ginger and Baker, guys. Could Ginger Graham be any more impressive? We talked about some of her accolades when we had her on the podcast a few weeks ago, but among her many ambitions she's got going on right now, she was just named the CEO of Walgreens. She's amazing. And what she's created in Fort Collins at Ginger and Baker exemplifies how everything she does is done with excellence and first class all the way. The Cash Restaurant is an example of that. And right now, they've got the full family of Weller bourbon available in the Cash, including the hard-to-find limited edition Weller CYPD. And by the way, all whiskey is half price every Wednesday, which is a perfect opportunity to taste one, two, or more of these fine spirits. The cafe has all my personal comfort food favorites. And of course, they got great events and cooking classes each and every month. 
Check out gingerandbaker.com slash calendar for a full list of cooking classes and other events. This place is amazing, guys. Support our friend, Ginger Graham, and treat yourself to a world-class experience at our favorite place, Ginger and Baker. Hey, so I, we only got a few minutes here, but uh, the, the talk of the day, as we brought up with Pete, was what Jay said about Deion Sanders and wanted to get your thoughts on it. For me, my thought is, what good could possibly come out of that by saying that. And I don't think there is any good that could come out of it. And on the other end, what bad could come out? Well, I think one of the things we're hanging our hats on of this game was, you know, is this team going to be able, is Nebraska, is CU going to be able to stay as motivated and up for this game as they were for, for their big rivalry last week. And uh, especially when you got Oregon one week from this weekend. So it's kind of a sandwich game. And by saying that, you may be just a little fire under them a little bit more. Um, you know, like I mentioned to Pete, and he said the same thing, is I think that does – that's a little overrated. And it goes out the window after the first series. But, you know, and is C really C really going to want to beat us any more than they already do? I doubt that. But I just don't know why – what what possessed him to want to say that because you knew it was going to be blown up and that CU was going to absolutely say, oh, it's personal, and it's exactly what they just did. Well, here's the thing. Coach Sanders has been doing a good job circling the wagons, and it and he really has an us against them mentality going well. TCU said stuff about him. Nebraska said stuff about him. They were going to find something. Hell, it might have been our podcast yesterday with Bradley. Could have been having Pete on with us today. They would have found something, or he would have said, "Look at look at the disrespect. They're not even talking about us." He he would have found something, and you. I mean, you said it with Pete. I'm sure Jay was just so tired of every question being about him, every question being about him. Hell, people kept on asking him at the recruiting roundup at, at Denver Country Club about Dion. So I'm sure he's just sick of it and, and finally unloaded. But the thing is, until yesterday afternoon, this game – was CU playing at home in Boulder on Saturday. Now it is CSU versus CU. Mm-hmm. So Jay did what he's supposed to do. And the thing is, if CSU makes that, makes an upset, they pull it off somehow. Even if it's close, Jay's on everybody's radar now. Yeah. I love that. And you know, if we did somehow pull this out, then you know that the first thing that those punks are going to say is, well, this was your Super Bowl. We weren't up for it, you know, like they always did. Right. And and this just go ahead. This just takes that all out the window right there. No more excuses. If we beat you, it it wasn't because you overlooked us. So uh, I I also think it does kind of make a statement of Jay jumping into the fight. Like, look, we're playing this game too. Let's, let's make some noise. And um, problem is the fight is on the field and we've really stunk it up on the field. But uh, hopefully this awakens our own players to kind of take a stand and say, hey, you know, J- our coach is not intimidated. He's saying what he feels. Um, so let's go out and play. To, to me, him saying that just shows me again, like he, he like he showed last week or the going into the game one, Jesus seems really confident in this team. And he's seeing something in this team that I don't know if uh, any of us Ram fans are really seeing or that we did see in game one. But all camp, he has said that he thinks we line up with everybody on the schedule. And I truly believe that 
game one's performance caught him off guard. I think maybe he's just brushing it off as we didn't play well. I didn't call plays well. We just didn't perform against a really good opponent. Uh, I really think there's something about this game that he likes. And I think he, he, we can go in there and, and compete with them. So um, yeah, I, I think it was, I, I, part of me thinks it was a little bit of him just finally snapping because he probably him and his team just got bombarded with question after question about prime during their uh, ESPN interviews that day, you know, where they go in, they, they do all the recordings for the telecast and all that. They were probably like, we're so sick of talking about these guys and, no one's asking us questions about our own team. They're asking us what we think about them, you know, and it probably just pissed him off and he probably snapped, but uh, part of that's probably that. And I, I think the other part of it is maybe he was trying to make a statement for his team. So before we sign off here, thoughts on what we need to do to win this game, reasons for optimism. Do you see a way, a path for us to win this game? Uh, we need to play hard for all four quarters <laughs> going, going with Bradley and, uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, so I, 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 I went and watched last week. I, I watched it at dark horse in Boulder. Shador is legit. Like I think he's a first round draft pick this year. Um, if he comes out, I, I, I really do. Biggest thing is he, he's, not going to beat you with his feet, but he knows how to, how to slide the pocket. He knows how to es escape. We have to get pressure on him. He got sacked seven times last week. Seven times he got sacked. Um, they didn't play that well against Nebraska. Nebraska killed themselves. Their quarterback is horrible. He dropped, dropped three snaps. Two of them he just dropped, like just fell straight out on his hand, straight straight down from his hands. And he totally pulled a Cam Newton with the half attempt trying to get it. The other one, horrible, horrible exchange with the with the running back. Those three turnovers led to to fourteen points. They they actually stopped that first one, but uh, it wasn't it wasn't anything that CU was doing. We take care of the ball. We don't have stupid turnovers. If we move the ball. I, Nebraska was able to – their quarterback was able to run on him. But they did a pretty good job moving the ball on first and second down. If we could do that, not not give them not give them points, we could keep it close. And if we could keep it close, and again, going off of what Bradley and what, what Pete just said, if we could keep it close and we play hard for all four quarters, who knows what happens. Do I think it's going to? No. So for me – you talked about the sacks they gave up. So I, I, I don't know. I posted this on the board. I don't know that is, is their offensive line sufficient, probably sufficient, but are they a strength of that team? I mean, they, in two games, they've given up 12 sacks, six QB hurries and 18 tackles for loss. So um, that tells me that our heralded defensive front, who we've heard nothing but like rave raves about from our coaching staff and who we've all believed that we've got some talent on that defensive line, they better make an impact. And if they don't, then, I mean, that that's one area where we might be able to exploit something and they've got to get pressure, as you said, on Shador and make him uncomfortable. Cause if he's able to just sit back there and pick us apart, man, I did not see enough from our secondary against Washington state when we, we were not good. And, uh, some of our best players or people that players that we thought were going to be our best players in the secondary did not play well. And we got torched a few times. 
And part of that was because they were forced to cover longer than they should have because Cam Ward was able to buy a couple extra seconds by, by moving the pocket. But Shadour is definitely going to be able to do that too. So uh, they're going to have to contain him, make him throw from the pocket, make him get rid of the ball quick. If he doesn't, uh, if we don't, then it's going to be a long day. Yeah, they're, 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 I mean, they're fast. They are. And honestly, I, don't, I think Travis Hunter is probably their third best, third best receiver. You know, um, and for the life of me, I can't think of the other guys that, again, that running back, that tiny running back, if, if that pocket's moving and and he's just any of those guys, I mean, if they get, if we just lose them, Shador's, yeah, we have to get pressure on. Yeah. Keep him inside the pocket uh, with, with pressure and, and make him have to force, force some throws and, and then again on offense, just can't give the ball away. If if they earn an in, if they earn the pick, if, if if they force it, that's fine. That's part of the game. But what Nebraska was doing, what, uh, what Nebraska was doing, that was not that was giving them the ball. They gave that game away. I mean, they made that too easy for CU by with all the turnovers. I, I do think, you know, if you look at CU's defensive line. What have they done in their two games? I mean, they had two sacks against Nebraska. Uh, they had none against TCU. I, mean, I hope that our offensive line gives the youngster BFN some time to to get comfortable and and let the the talent of our offense, which is our two star wide receivers, Justice Ross Simmons and Tory Horton, as well as Dallin Holker at the tight end position start using those weapons and you got to give him a little bit of time to, to do that. And I, I also hope that we see some designed quarterback runs so that they can't just keep teeing off on him and pinning their ears back. Just let him move the pocket himself. Let him design some, some draws, roll him out, give him a run pass option here and there. Just, man, just do something different. I just am craving to see something different, something creative that will use our weapons a little bit more. So I, 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 that's the big question mark. I feel like at least in this game, we're not doing the, you know, the, the usual trotting out the same thing. Insanity is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over without making a change. Well, we made a change, right? We, we, we changed the quarterback and that's the one thing is that, am I convinced that's the, the answer? No, but it's something different, right? And it's something that he will bring a little bit different element in the fact that he can run a little bit. And from what I saw, and I, this is my own opinion, but I saw it with my own eyes. We sit right behind the bench. I watch, I just, I like to watch the interaction between our players with Braden. After every series, he would come to the side. He would talk to his linemen. He would interact with them. He would talk to his receivers. He was encouraging. He was an, he was a unit with them. Right. And it, it wasn't like I go stand off on the side and do my own thing until the next series. And that's kind of what I saw with Clay. I mean, I did not see that same kind of interaction. So my point is, is there seems to be a, a more of a element of leadership with Braden. And, and I just, it was my own observations from me sitting directly behind the bench and I watched that stuff and I just was very impressed with him. And so I, I think maybe he's a little bit of a leader. Uh, I've talked to a, a friend of mine who has kids at school that, that know Braden and just are around him. They say he's a cocky, a little bit of arrogance, uh, even some of an, you know, uh, in a, in a good way and an a-hole, <laughs> like a guy that's just tough at me. He just, all he wants to do is win. He's not fluff. He's not, uh, you know, so, 
I think you need that. I think we need a guy with an attitude and will it come out and will he play uh, and be our savior in this game? I don't know, but it is a change and it gives me a little bit of hope that there's, there's something different about this game. We can maybe hang our hat on. So I am not about to predict that we win. I'm not going to predict that we lose. I just can't do it. But I do think, I do think that there is a chance for us in this game. I do think that there is that natural human element there where can see you even with the, the talk from from coach yesterday that might have gotten them a little fired up can they possibly be as amped up for this game and as focused for, for this game as they were for nebraska their hugest rivalry last week especially when you got oregon next week and you you listen to i listened to to dion's press conference the same day as as jay's earlier this week and he knew nothing nothing about our team he couldn't name a player he didn't even know our coach's name and he, he he all he was talking about in his press conference was about the celebrities that were there and the ratings that we had that they had um you know for the TV and the number of downloads they had to watch on online and and stuff like that like he is not was not turning his attention to CSU at all and you know maybe he leaves the film study to his assistants and whatnot but it was just so bizarre to watch the the two contrasts between that coach and and our coach when our coach has, when we've had this game circled on our calendar for a long time, uh, this is a bunch of, there's, there's 27 guys from Colorado on this roster that want to win this. It's going to mean more. Like they, they think we're the little brother. We, we have something to prove. I think it means more. I think having two weeks to prepare gives us a little bit of an edge. So is it enough to, for us to win this game? I don't know, but I do like our chances to, to come out and look a hell of a lot better than we did in game one. And I sure as hell hope we see some fight because I I'm not gonna, I'm not going to be able to to withstand another boat race and uh, and have a whole lot of care in me the rest of the season if we come out and lay another egg. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you right there again. I mean, I just want to see four quarters, and we and we haven't seen four quarters for a while. Um, again, we started seeing it at the end of last season, but to come out like we did against Washington State. But uh, I'm going to say this. I, I, I watched the uh, Washington State-Wisconsin game last week as well. Washington State's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I think they're a lot better than what we expected. I think they're a lot better than what what anybody expected. You know, they, they're they a good team. They, they had that Wisconsin game the whole time. Uh, you know, the score, the score was close. I want to say it's like 20 – I don't know, like 28, 24, something like that. But Wisconsin scored at the end and to make it kind of look closer. But Wisconsin really had – or Washington State really had that game under control the whole time. And one of the things that I really wanted to see is how they reacted against Wisconsin, like how, how they would play – how they would match up against uh, uh, Luke, Luke Fickle's uh, uh, led offense and – is good their defense is good so i don't know maybe we're not as bad as maybe we're not as bad as we uh, way too many people think yeah i think there's a combination of washington state's better than anyone thought i'm not sure they see you is as good as everyone thinks they're good i mean they're definitely a hell of a lot better than they were last year they're obviously talented but i think shador sanders covers up for a lot of some of their inadequacies and he's just been unbelievable. Yeah. Like, like he's, he's definitely 
Heisman type numbers early on. I mean, it's a long season, but uh, he's made up for some of the other issues that they have. And, you know, can he do that again for a third straight week? Maybe, but I, I, I do think that there is a chance for us. So, um, God help us, please, please make some miracle happen. We need it. We need it bad. So, uh, Michael, this has been a good couple podcasts. Enjoyed it. And yeah. let's hope for let's hope for a big win Saturday. Yep. Play hard. Play That's hard. All, all four quarters, baby. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Keep the faith, people. Go Rams. Go Rams. Go Rams.